Good morning. Welcome to Mission View. So glad you're here this morning. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at Mission View Church. If this is your first time here with us, we're so glad that you came to worship with us this morning. If you're joining us online for the first time, welcome. So glad you're here as well. We are in the middle of, kind of, well, sort of in the first quarter of a series in the book of Daniel. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Daniel chapter 4. We're going to be looking through Daniel chapter 4. It's one of the longer chapters in the book of Daniel. So we'll be here till around 3, 3.30. I hopefully have you out here by dinner. No, I'm just kidding. No, we'll, we'll make it out of here on time. But um, it's been a great series so far, and we've seen so many different things um, going on here. And kind of introduce you, if you haven't been with us for the last few weeks here, I'm going to introduce you to the characters we have in this book. We have a guy named Daniel who was royalty in Jerusalem, God's chosen people, the Israelites. He was royalty in the king's court in Jerusalem, right? And, uh, but bad things happen. This, this tyrant king named Nebuchadnezzar comes and he's conquering all these areas. He goes through Jerusalem and he takes the best of Jerusalem for himself. And as Israelites exiled into Babylon. And so we have this guy, Daniel, and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Rakshak and Benny for all of our uh, VeggieTales fans out there. But anyways, these four guys are kind of like key characters in this story in history that we get to look at and kind of see what God did in and through their lives. And so today, it, it kind of takes a little bit of a shift because the focus really goes towards King Nebuchadnezzar. It's an interesting story, what God is doing, what he's doing, not just in the life of Israel, his chosen people, but what he's doing in the heart of of this tyrant king. Now we found out, uh, I don't use the word tyrant lightly here. Nebuchadnezzar was this king who threatened to rip people limb from limb over and over again. We see it multiple times. This is a king that had a fiery furnace that he would throw people in and watch them burn. Not a nice guy. This is a guy that had a lion's den and he would feed human, live human beings to lions in this lion's den. Not, not a nice guy at all. In fact, we, have, we haven't seen anything in his life that would be any type of redeeming characteristics in this guy at all. Now, but what we have seen is, as we go from chapter to chapter, we see God doing amazing things in Daniel's heart and in his life. We see an amazing faith that Daniel has, risking his life in the face of this tyrant king. And last week, we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and their guts, man. I mean, these guys just had guts. They stand before this tyrant king, and they just kind of shake their fist at him and say, you know, you, you can't make us do anything. Our God is able to free us from any fiery furnace you have. Go ahead, do your worst. I mean, these guys were crazy, crazy for the one and only true God. And we saw God deliver them from that. We saw God deliver Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the king multiple times so far. But today, we take a little bit of a turn. I think Nebuchadnezzar kind of becomes God's focus as we look into chapter 4. So that kind of catches you up where we're at. Uh, let's go ahead and pray before we read God's word today in Daniel chapter 4. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, I just pray that you would come and speak to us. God, that you would have your way this morning. Move on our hearts. We pray that your truth would change us. God, that we would meet with you. Your Holy Spirit would be active in our lives and our hearts, even now, 
that we would walk out of here different than we walked in. We surrender to your will, Father. Come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's pick it up. Chapter 4 here. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures for genera- from generation to generation. Now, does that sound like a tyrant king to you? That sounds like a worship song or something, does it? Did we sing something like that just a few minutes ago? I think it's really interesting. You might want to make note of this or underline, highlight that section right there. This is 30 years after the fiery furnace incident that we talked about last week. And if you remember, Nebuchadnezzar ended last week worshiping as well. So I think it's, it's important for us to note that we end with Nebuchadnezzar worshiping. 30 years go by, we begin with Nebuchadnezzar worshiping the one true God. So I think that's really important. Just make note of that as we continue through this. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to the heaven. It was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches. All flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruits. Let the beasts flee from under it, let the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or interpretation alarm you. 
Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Okay, this is where it's getting scary, right? Daniel's going, oh no, I don't know about this. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached the heaven and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and whose branches the birds of the heavens lived, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, your dominion to the ends of the earth, because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time have passed over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my lord, the king that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded the leaf to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps, may, that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. All right, God's word for us today. The first part of chapter four there. Did you stick with me through the story? It's a long passage of scripture, wasn't it? A lot going on there. The first thing I want to kind of point out about um, Daniel chapter four is, is right here in this section. You know, he starts, Nebuchadnezzar starts off worshiping, and that's really, really great, but then he has a nightmare. I mean, this isn't just any old nightmare. He's messed up. He is really worried about this, and we see one of the first things he does. It's probably not the best thing to do, you know? So the first thing I want to point out is this. When life gets hard, go to God first. When life gets hard, go to God first. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar started out fine. Worshiping God with this beautiful hymn, with this amazing, amazing worship time and saying God is the God, the one true God. But when life got hard, when he had this nightmare, when he was worried and he couldn't sleep, what did he do? He goes, he goes to Hogwarts. He goes back to his Hogwarts. He says, where's my magicians and sorcerers? I need, I need somebody to tell me what's going on here. He goes to these magicians and sorcerers and Chaldeans. These, these guys don't know God. They aren't Daniel. I mean, Daniel had proven himself. This is 30-some years after the fiery furnace. This is, this is a long time. Nebuchadnezzar had witnessed the glory of God, the miracles of God, over and over and over in his life. This is near the end of his rule and reign. This is right at the end of his life as king. And he still doesn't get it. I mean, he's, he's halfway there, right? Oh, God's awesome. This is great. He's the real God. This is amazing. Oh no, I had a nightmare. What do I do? What do I do? He goes back to his old habits. He goes back to the things he's accustomed to. He goes back to the things that he had practiced, right? How, how often do we do the same thing, right? You know, Nebuchadnezzar had created so many bad habits over time. You know, when things got rough, when he had a bad dream, you know, early in the earlier chapters, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, right? 
He went to the Chaldeans. He went to his dream interpreters. He went to these magicians and sorcerers, and he wanted to hear what the dream meant. None of them could tell him. But this was kind of his life. This is where Nebuchadnezzar lived. He lived in this polytheistic, many gods, idealized thing. And it was, you know, there wasn't one true God. There wasn't truth. There was just, you know, truth was just whatever it was to you. There was, there was no one true thing. And that, that was kind of his comfort zone. I mean, that was his worldview. That's what he had grown up with. I look at that, I'm thinking 30 years and all this other stuff, and I'm like, if I saw somebody like we saw last week, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into a, a fiery furnace that was, you know, seven times hotter than, than it had ever been before, and the guys that actually come to throw them into the furnace die from the heat, and I look in there, and I see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walking around with a fourth guy with them, I'd probably be convinced of something. Wouldn't you? I mean, I would be like, wow, you know, maybe I need to straighten my life out. <laughs> maybe I need to make some changes here. You know, I think about Nebuchadnezzar in that first dream that he had, and he brought all his magicians and sorcerers and Chaldeans before him then, you know, and it, nobody could tell him his dream. Nobody could give him the interpretation of his dream. But then Daniel came around, and Daniel says, I got this. Well, not me, but the God I serve, the one true God the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's not me, it's him. He's given you that here's your dream. Tells him his dream and the interpretation, not just the, the interpretation, but tells him his dream. I mean, I, you look at this stuff that has gone on in Nebuchadnezzar's life and you're thinking, man, do you get there? When do you get there? And I, I think about my life and I, I think about how the struggles come in and the worries come in. And I'm like, the first thing I do isn't drop to my knees in prayer all the time. I, I'm just being honest. You know, I think we should be honest in church, right? I wish it was. I wish the first thing I did when I was worried or concerned or whatever it may be, if I was struggling, I wish the first thing I would do was just drop to my knees in prayer. But I'm, I'll just be honest with you. When I see problems, and I see things not going the way that I would hope they would, you know what the first thing I do a lot of the time is? I try and fix it, <laughs> right? I start strategizing. I can see problems coming down the road. I start making strategies, and I start working out things on the whiteboard, and I bring the staff of the church together, and we start working through things on the whiteboard. We try and fix all these different things, and then the Holy Spirit just smacks me and says, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Wait a second. What are you doing? Where are you going? How many times have I proven myself faithful to you, Matt? Look at your life. Look at what I did when you were 15. Remember what I did when you were 21? Do you remember what I did when you were 25? Do you remember that instance in the hospital? Do you remember that surgery? Do you remember that miracle? Here's kind of, okay, so here's what I'm, I'm taking away from this, this section up here. What we can learn from Nebuchadnezzar is that if we really want to walk in relationship with the, I mean, not we're walking in relationship with Christ. What I'm getting at is like, if we want to walk in intimate relationship with Christ, we need to create new, strong habits. That the, the first thing that we do when we're walking through something really difficult isn't going to a whiteboard, isn't going to a leadership team, isn't going to a conference, isn't going to whatever it may be. 
isn't buying the latest book on anxiety. It's a habit of dropping to our knees in prayer, going to God first. And it's a struggle, man. It's really hard, let's be honest, right? It's hard because when you're in the, in the mix, when you're in the mess, I mean, you've got all these things going around you. You have, you have people, you have boss coming to you saying, what are you going to do? What are you doing? I mean, this, is, this has to get done next week. What are you doing? What are you doing? You got your spouse and the other, hey, what's going on? Well, how are we going to do this? How are we going to deal with this? I mean, this is crazy. We've never faced anything like this before. You got your kids just freaking out. They're just bouncing off the walls. Right? You got all this stuff going crazy and you're just like, I got to fix this. No, no, no. We have to go to the Lord in prayer. We, we forget it so often. And it's funny. Think about this is good. Think about how faithful God is. Think of this is really good. We forget to go to him first in prayer. We go to prayer when we need him, right? After we've whiteboarded, after we've made the plans, after we've met with leadership teams, after we've gone to the conference, after we've read the three books, and we're at rock bottom, right? We're like, I tried and I tried and I tried. I was like doing really bad. Now I'm doing really bad. Oh, I need to pray. Right? That's exactly what we see Nebuchadnezzar do. And sadly, that's a lot of times what we do. We, this is the boots on the ground takeaway from this is this. When I'm freaking out, when I'm stressed out, when life's not going my way, Go to God in prayer. And I think if we spent more time on our knees, we'd spend less time worrying. If we spent more time on our knees, we'd spend less time with anxiety. Nebuchadnezzar had a bad habit of looking to others rather than God. And it leads him down a really, really bad path. Let's pick it up in verse 28. All this came up upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. So this is a year later after he's had that terrible dream that Daniel interpreted for him. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Oh boy. You know what's coming, right? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. Okay, all right. Here's the point. Here's, here's your fill-in. And I, no, don't let me lose you on this. Here's the fill-in. God loves the unlovable. And you're thinking, what? What in the world 
does that have anything to do with Nebuchadnezzar becoming a werewolf, right? Okay, stick with me. Here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. Nebuchadnezzar's been doing his thing. He has turned his back on God over and over and over again. He has been running and running and running. He gets to the point where he's so full of himself and he's so full of his pride, he's just just standing at the top of his, his palace. Look at me, I'm so amazing. Boom. And God just knocks him down. Something has happened. This tyrant king starts out in this chapter worshiping God, and he goes and he ends up after this dream a year later saying these things. Why? Why would God knock him down? Why does God even care? Nebuchadnezzar's just some tyrant king who throws people in fire furnaces and feeds them to lions. Destruction. Why? I think God's after Nebuchadnezzar's heart. God loves the unlovable. We look at Nebuchadnezzar, we don't see one redeeming characteristic. God looks at Nebuchadnezzar and says, you're worth me disciplining you. You're worth me drawing you to me. You're worth me showing you who I am. You think you're this mighty king? You think you've built this palace? You've built this huge kingdom in your own strength? No, I, I did that. I gave that to you. I'm God. I'm your creator. And I love you enough to show you that. In Hebrews 12, 5b through 6, it says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. God loves. God is love. And this is amazing. Think about how awful he was, all the horrible things he's done. Look at him. We look at him with disgust. We are put off by the things he says, by the things that he has done. But God looks at him with love. God starts out by giving, think about this, what we've seen. God starts out by giving him a dream, a powerfully prophetic dream that tells him the future. It tells him his future. Then in this second dream, he warns him. What does Daniel say? He warns him, live righteously. Treat those those with mercy. Be a merciful king. This is a warning. Or else you're going to be a mess and God's going to do something about this. He makes it a year before he falls back into his old prideful ways and starts to think too highly of himself and forgets that it was the king of kings and lord of lords who gave him what he had. The words hadn't fully left his lips and God immediately turns him into a werewolf. Well, sort of. Claws, hair all over, eating grass, so he's a vegetarian werewolf. Gross, right? This is crazy. I was reading this and studying this and thinking about this. This is crazy. God's love is crazy. We are thinking that this guy is getting what he deserves. He deserves to be an animal. He deserves to live in the mud. 
have the dew of the heavens on him in the morning. He deserves to eat grass. He's getting God's loving warning and God's loving correction. Why do I point this out? If God loves this guy, this tyrant, evil king, enough to draw him to himself, God can love you. He is saying to you right now, don't give your heart to Facebook and politics, Instagram, pornography, entertainment, food, sex, ease of life. Don't give your heart over to pride and selfishness. Live like who I have called you to be. Give me your heart. If God is loving and forgiving enough to call and move on Nebuchadnezzar, he is loving and merciful enough to warn and call you. Where is your heart? Who has your heart? What has your heart? I, I can't tell you the number of people I have talked to about Christ. And a lot of them say something like this, God could never love me. He could never love me. Pastor, you don't know what I've done, man. You don't know the life I've lived. Hear me on this. If God can love this murdering tyrant king enough to warn him and draw him to himself, he can love you. Have you fed anybody to lions? Have you thrown anybody into a fiery furnace? No. Man, then I talk to Christians, right? And they, they get, we get so, we're so hard on ourselves. I mean, we, we live this life and we want to do the best we can we know that we're not perfect and we're not going to be perfect until we see Christ face to face. We know that we're on this journey of sanctification and we're just working it more and more and God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, is changing us to be more and more like his Holy Spirit, you know, his son Jesus. And we think to ourselves, I mean, we're really doing good, I'm really doing good, and then bam, we make a mistake and it's like, oh, I'm falling back and I'm struggling with this. And then we get into that lie that Satan uses and he brings this condemnation to us. You're not worthy. You're not worthy of the love of God. You're not worthy of the, the title Christian, as if we earn that title by our good works somehow. Whoa, right? No. This is, this is a story about a God whose love knows no bounds. You think you're not good enough? You think you've done too much wrong? Know this, no sin you have committed or will commit is stronger than the death and blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And there is nothing, there is nothing you can do to earn that love. We think we rack up good, you know, good deeds. We, we go on missions trips or we do these other things or we, we treat our neighbors right. We just pat ourselves on the back and we think we're earning our salvation. And that's a joke. There's nothing you can do. There is not one thing you could do to make God love you more than he loves you right now. That is the grace and mercy of God. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what Jesus did. None of us, none of us is worthy. It is totally and completely unmerited 
favor and mercy and grace because God is loving. And he's coming to this tyrant, evil king and making his love known to him. Man, if he can love this guy, God can love anybody. I'll tell you what, that's good news, isn't it? That is good news. We see the grace and mercy of God as we move ahead in our story, verse 30, 34. At the end of the days, this is the end of Nebuchadnezzar's rule. We're not going to hear much more about him as we go through. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heavens and among the inhabitants of earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. Let me just stop right there. Does it get more beautiful than that? Does it get prettier than that? Is that a guy who's met the one true God? the same time my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom my majesty and splendor returned to me my counselors and my lord sought me and i was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me now i nebuchadnezzar praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble big big lesson here big lesson let's not miss it It's that last line, right? It's the last line he says, God will humble those who walk in pride. That's the last filling in your notes today. God will humble those who walk in pride. This is the last we'll hear about Nebuchadnezzar, or from him anyways. They talk about him a little bit in the next couple chapters, but he lifts his eyes to heaven, and God restores him. And then plus some. Does he deserve it? Does Nebuchadnezzar deserve to have his kingdom back and then have it extended even more so? No. No. He just came to a realization of who God was. And God, in his grace and mercy, just just lavished him with love and kindness. Does he deserve it? No, not in any human system, not according to me, but God. Do we deserve the love and grace and mercy of God? No, but God. Sometimes God's mercy comes in the form of discipline. God disciplined Nebuchadnezzar for his pride. He says in verse 37, those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. He got it. He'd learned this great and hard lesson about the greatness of God and the humility of man. He recognized that God had given him great status and position, but it was all God. It was all God. In James 4, 6, the Bible says, but he gives us more grace. This is why it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in opposition to God. I don't want to be on the, I don't want to be on the wrong side of this. I want to be on God's team. 
I want to be on God's team. Christianity is a religion based on humility. And humility is difficult, especially for us humans. It goes against everything we have been taught. We truly are a prideful people. Where, where do we find humility? How do we live out our lives humbly? We find out what true humility is when we look at our Savior, Jesus. Jesus is God. He was there in the beginning. We know because in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Christ was there in the beginning. Jesus is one of the three parts of the Trinity, this triune God. He has always been and he always will be. He is creator, sustainer, and giver of all life. Now, I say all this to point out what it means that Jesus came to earth. Think about that. As we talk about humility, we have to think about what Christ did. The perfect example of humility. He was all those things from the very beginning in heaven, receiving all glory and honor and praise, being worshiped continually, the King of kings and Lord of lords, in paradise, this beautiful heaven that you and I are longing to go to. And he steps out of it and becomes a man? What? You talk about humility. Not only that, I mean, his life was a life of humility. He showed his humility in how he served. He served his parents, Mary and Joseph, as he worked in the family business and helped support the family. He served humanity when he traveled and taught God's truth and gave us his word. He served when he washed the disciples' feet at the Last Supper in the upper, upper room. And his, his final act and greatest act of service or humility was when he allowed his own creation to murder him on the cross. What greater humility or example of humility can there be? God shows us perfect humility in the person of Jesus Christ. Remembering who he was. Remembering even him in heaven, the word was with God in the beginning. And then his example that, set, that he would step out of heaven for you and me. And then the, the beautiful life that he lived serving. He even said, I, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. That's true humility. That's true greatness. How do we live out our lives in humility? We look to the one whose humility gave us a way to be saved. And we surrender to him. When we live with the cross in sight, we're going to start developing good habits. And those first reactions that come to us really quickly when things get hard, when I'm living looking at the cross, when I'm living with the gospel in mind, I'm going to be quicker to drop to my knees in prayer. I'll go to the whiteboard second. 
I'll, I'll, I'll call the team second, but I'll call on God first. Man, the key to all of this stuff is an intimate relationship with God. Living in relationship with Him. Don't, we can't get caught up in the things of this world like Nebuchadnezzar did with these bad habits. And I'm not saying that like Facebook's bad. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that entertainment's bad. Those are, those are fine things. What I'm saying is if we're going to those things and we're living in those things and those things have our hearts and those things have our quick first reactions, then that's not good, right? We can enjoy all those things, but those things have to be like a far third or fourth from our relationship with God, going to Him in prayer, going to His Word, resting in Him. What are we resting? Are we resting in video games? Are we resting in the golf course? Are we resting in, you know, watching the football stuff or basketball stuff or hockey? Those are all good things. Have those things. Enjoy those things. But make sure they're secondary things, right? And the primary thing, where we find our hope, where we find our ultimate hope, where we find our ultimate relaxation, where we find our ultimate peace is in relationship with Christ, resting in his presence. We don't want to end up like Nebuchadnezzar, calling Hogwarts, right? We want to end up with that quick reaction, falling to our knees in prayer. That's our takeaway for today. Make it a point this week because we have struggles each week, right? Difficult things every week. Some of us, I mean, are going through horrific times of trials and suffering right now. Go to God in prayer. Go to God's word. Rest in his presence. Do the things that he calls us to do. And see what God does. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And we recognize right now that God, we need to be close to you. We need to be close to you. Father, I just pray for everyone here, everyone watching online, God, that as we seek you this week, as we come to you in prayer this week, as we go to your word and study your word this week, Father, that these would be sweet times, sweet times of resting in your presence, that your Holy Spirit would just, would just make yourself known to us as we seek your face, God. We give you our hearts and we give you our lives, Lord. Come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.